Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. And um, it is such an incredible and an honor and a privilege to be back and um, really to stand in what I would call, I, I told Pastor George this morning, and I, I'm sorry if I'm acting like I'm family, this is family for me. Um, but I said, this is a house of faith. I just, you know, I walked in and I was like, I feel faith all over me. Like, it's going to be dangerous today on Sunday. Like, we might preach the pain off these walls because I, I said, I don't know if I could add anything to what's happening here. I'm just caught up in the momentum of what's already taken place. You know, sometimes you go to churches and you got to help them build it. You got to help them break through into something. You know, you have to recalibrate. But here, I'm just trying to hold on to the momentum of what you guys have been a part of. What's been taking place? I don't know if you guys know, but this was built in 10 months. In California, that does not happen. Uh, nothing happens in 10 months in California unless it's acquiring more debt. You know, like that's, Jed, did you have to attack California? I did, just for the sake of Floridians that are teaching America how we're supposed to live. Amen. Cut, cut that from the recording. Uh, I do have friends in other parts of the state and, uh, and the world, and it, it could get me in trouble. Uh, but I believe it. I, I, I really believe it. We're, this place is looking better every day, you know, just, so you know, right here in Gainesville. And, um, man, I just love you guys. And how many were a part of Peru? I know the, the last time I was, look at all these incredible, so I got friends here. You guys, thank you guys for being a part of, of what took place. And I just want to create one, uh, one term of engagement. For those of you who know me, this is not uncommon, but... I think it will help you. And then we're going to get into the word. And I believe God's got something specific for each and every one of you today. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there's a, a revelation. And, and I know this house understands it, but it's significant for me. And it's really this concept of the power of agreement. You know, and, and the Bible says, this is like really good news. The Bible says, in case you're visiting today, you've never been in a worship experience like this, wondering why people are shouting, why I don't have socks on, like all the questions you could be asking. <laughs> I know you. I know what you were thinking. Why does he not have socks? I do have socks, okay? They're hidden. They're low. Um, I, you're like this California guy. We let him in. Um, I apologize. I know. You couldn't wear these pants at all. Um, <laughs> But, but the Bible says, if you don't know this, you know, the, the, the ancient scripture, you know, authored by the creator says these words, says everything I've promised you, I've said yes to in Christ. It's like such good news. It's literally everything that God's promised you, everything he's promised your family, everything he's promised your, your, your children, everything he's promised your children's children and your children's children's children, everything he's promised you for your life, for your finances, for your future, every good gift that he's already assigned you. The Bible says all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And then there's this contingency. It says all of his promises are yes in Christ Jesus and with our amen. Which means every time you hear truth being communicated, whether it's through, a, you know, listening on a podcast later or here on a Sunday or opening up the word, every time you're hearing the truth of God, you need to understand that God's promises are never looking for your assessment. They're simply looking for your agreement. And, and when you actually say amen, you're not putting the period at the end of a prayer. You're actually putting an exclamation point at the beginning of a declaration. You're saying, so be it. I agree with that. Let that live in my life. And so often as believers, when we hear truth being disseminated, we say how or, or why or when or who, instead of simply saying yes. But what I've realized is that the enemy and God, if I could be honest, this is a little secret for you. This is Jedediah's like secret handbook. The enemy and God are after the same thing every single day. I've reduced it to one thing they both want, and it's simply agreement. 
you got to think when you woke up this morning or yesterday or the day, there is two conversations happening in your head. There's the lies of the enemy and there's the truth of your savior. You have to decide, are you going to believe in what you see? Or are you going to believe in what God has said? Are you going to believe in the pain in your past? Or are you going to believe in the plan of his promise? Are you going to believe in your shame and your, you know, your sin? Or are you going to believe in your savior and your salvation? You have to decide what you're going to agree with daily. And whatever you agree with is what you align with. And what you align with is what lives in your life. So I just want to encourage you this morning that no matter what's being said that might be beyond your capacity or beyond your spirituality, I just want to encourage you to not assess it, but just simply agree with it and watch what happens in your life. That's why when we say amen in a service, it is not trying to make the communicator feel great. I don't need your agreement. God needs your agreement because he's already said yes to everything he's promised you. He's just waiting for you to say yes in return. Is there any agreement in the house this morning? We're, we're, we're in good hands. We're in good hands. Well, a lot's, uh, a lot's changed since I was here last. Kind of different world than I last left you at. You know, if, if I knew what was coming, I would have told you, <laughs> but I didn't. And I, I think if we can be honest, you know, if we look at these last few years, it's kind of been a shaking. Would you agree? Now, I know like through these COVID years and Pastor George's cancer years, you guys have been thriving. There's fruit. But I, I, that doesn't mean there hasn't been a shaking. You know, I, I know for our lives, you know, as we went through this journey, it, it seemed like everything that could have been shaken has been shaken. I mean, I can think of relationships that we had for years or decades that suddenly because we maybe voted differently or, you know, posted differently, suddenly we lost relationships. I, I know in California, you know, our whole routines were shaken from how you can buy food to where you can go gather to what your kids look like rolling up to school. Like it changed kind of all of routines. I still wore a mask flying out here yesterday on an airplane. Now, I don't enjoy them, just so you guys know. Like whatever you guys believe, I don't enjoy the mask on these airplanes. It's just, it's kind of ruined some things. Would you agree? It's changed some things. It's shaken our friends. It's shaken, you know, the framework of society. It's even shaken our faith on what we actually believe in or what we're actually going to stand for. It's shaken our economy. And to be honest, I think if we're being very transparent this morning or just intellectually aware, I think we all can assume that this is also not the last of the shaking. Would you agree? Now, I'm not some doomsdayer. I'm just like basic logic. As I look throughout human history and humanity, it seems like there could potentially be more shaking. And whether it's going to be a cyber attack or whether it's going to be a, 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 you know, a, a world war or all the things that could be taking place, the collapse of the economy, inflation, like at the end of the day, can we all agree that there's been a shaking and it's probably not the last time there's going to be a shaking so right now, if that's the case, then what we build our lives on and what we build our lives with matters more than you could ever imagine. Like in this season where life is shaking you and, and the world is shaking you and the enemy is shaking you, what we build our lives on and what we build our lives with matter more than ever. 
And our primary text today is in 1 Corinthians 13, and, and, and Paul is writing really this letter to the church in Corinth, and it's a very familiar passage of Scripture doing Valentine's Day, or, or when you're trying to let your husband know what the standard of love should look like. If you guys know 1 Corinthians 13, it starts off with love is patient, love is kind. You know this verse, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't keep records of wrong. And now you know this is not man's love, because none of that sounds like our love. It's talking about God's love, this perfect love. And then Paul continues his journey, and I encourage you to do your own biblical due diligence. He, he continues his journey, and, and right before our primary text, he, he kind of starts saying these words, and I encourage you to read it yourself. He starts saying, hey, you know, when we, when we prophesy, when, when we speak into the future, when we get what he calls, you know, spiritual discernment or spiritual understanding, he actually says these words, we can only speak in part. He says we can only know in part, you know what he's trying to say, and I think this is going to help a lot of us. No one knows exactly what's going to happen. I'm just telling you, if you know someone who knows exactly what's going to happen, that isn't, that isn't simply we win at the end. If you got any scenario of the date and the timeline and who the face is, and you're suddenly in this weird Facebook group and you're building bunkers in your backyard and getting prepared for Armageddon, right? Like who, whoever those individuals are that go, I've got to convince. Well, Paul says you don't. And what I want to let you know is, friends, you don't know what the next shaking is going to be. You don't know when the next shaking is going to come. You, you don't know what the next shaking is going to look like. And he says, listen, we can only see in part. We can only prophesy in part. We can only understand in part. But then he says these words. He's basically talking about this temporal world. And then he begins to introduce these eternal values. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. He says these words. We, we don't know what's going to happen. We can only prophesy in part. We can only speak in part. And then he says these words. But these three things. So good will last forever. Hear, hear what he's saying. He's saying, hey, there's going to be a shaking. There's going to be stuff we don't understand. There's going to be things that come our way. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know how long it's going to last. He goes, but you need to understand these things. These three things will last forever. These three things are eternal. These three, th three things overshadow the temporal. These three things cannot, will not, shall not be shaken because these three things are eternity being built on earth. And these three things are faith, hope, and love and the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Why is this so significant? Because, friend, I can tell you about future storms. You live in a, a, a state that you, you're familiar with storms and hurricanes. And we could say, hey, there's going to be a potential storm coming, and you're going to need to get these types of supplies, and you're going to need, you know, you need to get ready for this disaster, and it could be three months or two months. And what Paul's saying, what I'm saying is I could tell you about the length of the storms. I could tell you about potential storms. I could tell you about the type of the storms. Or we can spend all of our time simply building our lives, building our marriages, building our businesses, and building our families with these tangible components that cannot will not and ever be shaken. What I want to talk to you guys today is about building an unshakable life. If we build your life on these things, this church on these things, this, your marriage on these things, I'm just telling you, no matter what storm comes, no matter what disaster, no matter what chaos, no matter what crisis, you cannot and will not be shaken. And it's time that we have a church that is unshakable in the face of being shaken. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. These are the three things that if you build your life on, cannot, will not be shaken. Faith, hope, and love. Can I talk to you about the first one today? These three components so that you're built to last, built to be unshakable. Are you with me this morning? I know this is a house of faith, but can I just, uh, just reintroduce faith to you one more time? 
what I love about faith is faith is the currency of heaven. I want you to understand this. Faith, so America has a currency, it's called the dollar. Well, heaven has a currency, it's called faith. And, and what you need to know is that faith without honor is irrelevant because faith is the currency of heaven, but honor is the platform on which faith is exchanged. If you're saying, Jedediah, what does that mean? Well, there's a reason why Jesus shows up, if you know the scriptures, and he says, I, I, I want to heal everyone here, but I can only do a few things because I'm familiar, because there's a culture of dishonor, which means God with skin on, fully God and fully man, is limited on this planet to release what he wants because he can't exchange faith with humanity because there's not a platform of honor for faith to be exchanged. Which is why the Bible also says, listen, if you aren't right with your wife or if you harbor you know, unforgiveness, I'm not going to do what you pray for. He's like, hey, you got the purchasing power, but you actually need honor for, for this currency to be exchanged, which is why the Bible says honor a prophet in the name of a prophet. You get a prophet's reward. Honor a pastor in the name of a pastor. Isn't this, this is like one of the most gangster tricks in the Bible. It's like, wait, the prophet has to prophet, prophesy accurately. It has to be judged before men. He has to get these words from God. And all I have to do is say, I honor you and I get their reward. I get their fruit. I get their benefit. It's actually what the scripture says. So faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is, is the purchasing power of heaven. Let me put it this way. I want you to see faith as almost your business partner. I want to introduce you to faith as your business partner. It's, it's, it's the business partner that has the backing capital to build the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. I thought, I thought it was good, Pastor George. Thank you. I got one of you. I'm going to talk to this side. You seem a little more alive this morning. See, faith is, is the backing capital to build God's kingdom. See, I used to sell real estate in my old life. I used to sell high-end residential real estate. And I remember early on in the days, I would work with some of these family offices. You might be familiar with it, where there's a family that's, you know, established extreme wealth, usually hundreds of millions of dollars. And then they create a family office, and that family office does all the business interactions on behalf of that family, on behalf of that wealth. Now, I remember I was working with a billionaire client, and he had a really young, like 27-year-old, very sharp representative who was handling the contracts, who was having the negotiations. Now, this was a kid, but this kid acted like he was the billionaire. The way he negotiated, the way he stood up to me toe-to-toe, -to -toe, the way that he talked, the way that he carried himself was as if he was the billionaire. It was as if he created the wealth. He wasn't the billionaire, but he had been backed by the billionaire to be empowered to make decisions as the billionaire. This is who faith, oh, this is good. This is who faith is in your life. It is your business partner who has the backing capital for you to walk in and act like the billionaire and make decisions like the billionaire because you've been co-signed by the person with the resources. There's a reason why we walk into rooms differently and talk differently, whether it's at a school board, whether it's on a university campus, whether it's at a community gathering, whether it's with our coworkers. The reason why we can stand in confidence, the reason why we can proclaim what God has said is because we've already been co-signed by a business partner who's backing us called faith and we bring faith into every room and just to give a, a little reference to your pastor because I told him in the back I said I I hope this room knows like we're watching a living living master class on faith like pastor George and pastor Suzanne are literally a living master class on faith, because a lot of people who step into this faith language, they actually believe that faith is actually ignoring the facts. 
You know that, right? There's a lot of people who will never say what the facts are because they think it's faith. No, 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 I'm not in debt. Well, you are, homie. Look at your bank account. He's like, no, 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 marriage is great. Actually, she's not in the house right now. She's been gone for two months. Like we think that faith is ignorance or faith is ignoring or just disqualify. Like faith is not an absence of the facts. Faith is a complete awareness of the facts and then deciding to deem the facts irrelevant. Which is why your pastor, I'm telling you all of our conversations, I have cancer. This is what it's called. This is what my treatment's going to be. This is what the doctors said. We are all aware of the facts. And then we've all said, and we're going to deem that irrelevant because I have a business partner called Faith that says, these are your facts, but let me show you my faith. And you can continue to articulate the facts and I'll assess them. But as I articulate back to you the faith, what I'm actually doing is describing the miracle. You're telling me the facts of the mundane, I'm giving you the faith for a miracle so the mundane can come in alignment with my words and my world and not the other way around. Are you hearing me this morning? If you, if you got faith issues, talk to these leaders because the, it's a master class. I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to be kind. I've watched, I've taken notes. It's a master class on how you actually endure crisis and tribulation. And look, he's sitting there going, no, I've actually... You know why this church was built in COVID and with cancer? Is because it was built on faith. It was built on something eternal that didn't matter what was happening that was temporal. Faith. And, and can I tell you, faith is so significant because the level of your faith determines the level of your breakthrough. If you're taking notes, that's one of the moments you write something down. If you're a note taker, that's just you. The level of your faith will always determine the level of your breakthrough. Now, I don't have time because I'm not just preaching on faith today. We've got two, two other more attributes to get through, but I, I want you to see this picture. You know, we see this all throughout scripture where God wants us always to declare and define the level of breakthrough we're expecting. I've seen this all throughout scripture. We see this with the, the Roman centurion, right? Jesus shows up in and, and, and the Roman centurion and in, in, in Matthew, and he, in Matthew chapter 8, and he shows up and he has this conversation with this Roman centurion, and he says to him, he says, Jesus, my servant's sick, you know, and Jesus says these words, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come to the house? Now, I love this response of this Roman centurion. I don't have time to preach at all. It's not the point of this message, but he has this revelation of Jesus that most of us have never seen and do not see. That Jesus says, do you want me to come to the house? And he says, no, 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 Jesus, I'm like you, a man, he doesn't say who has authority. He actually says, I'm like you. I'm paraphrasing Jedediah, Jedediah translation. He says, like, I'm like you. I'm not a man who has authority. I'm a man who's under authority. Therefore, I'm over 100 men. This is so good. He actually saw the posture and position of Jesus that Jesus was not just making disciples. Jesus was modeling being discipled. Jesus actually said, I'm only going to say what I hear my father say, and I'm only going to do what I see my father do, which means I am myself under the authority of my father so that I can be over authority. And this Roman centurion says, hey, I'm like you. I'm a man who's under, therefore I'm over 100 men, which means for you, can I just tell you guys, some things in our life that we don't have authority over is because we don't have authority under. There's some people who are like, hey, my, my marriage is falling apart. Do you have a pastor? 
Do you have a mentor? Do you have someone that's pointing, you can point to as accountability? For some of us, we haven't had breakthrough in our finances because we've never tithed or given to the house. And I listen, the money doesn't help me. It's a principle that actually works. Like if your money's not under authority, how do you expect you to have authority over those circumstances or over that economy? You've never been under, therefore you can't be over. And I'm just telling you, most of us don't preach this because we're like so worried about abuse or so worried about pastors manipulating or previous experiences. One, you don't have pastors like that. Two, it's not about the person, it's about the principle. At the end of the day, I'm not honoring the person by doing this. I'm honoring the principle of God by doing this. And I, when I get under the authority of a person, I'm actually getting under the authority of a spirit, the spirit, therefore I have authority over. So this Roman centurion says, Jesus, I'm like you. It's a little, little trick in the Bible. It just reveals the secret. I'm a man who's under, therefore I'm over. And then he begins to, I just want to let you guys know, he begins to make up a miracle. I said that right. He makes it up. Up until this point in scripture, Jesus had never healed anyone unless he was in proximity to them. Up until this moment in scripture, no one had seen Jesus heal at a distance. Everyone was in proximity, everyone he spoke to, everyone he talked to, everyone he touched. This is what Jesus did. And this Roman centurion says, no, I'm like you, you got this authority thing. He goes, so just text it in, just send it like a, a quick DM, you know, just do a quick Snapchat. Like we'll go on TikTok, Jesus, just do a quick 15 second reel and we're gonna send it to him. Like that's what happens. He's like, no, 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 you just actually say the words and then it's gonna happen. He begins to, I just wanna tell you something. Faith is a blank check, not for pleasure, but for purpose. And at some point, we as believers start writing zeros behind that one and then our faith meets the facts and we put a period instead of a comma and continue writing zeros. So he begins to just go, oh, okay, like, what do I want you to do? I want you to just say the words. We don't even have to get to the house. And the most important thing is the last verse of scripture that Jesus says to him. If you look at it exactly, it's in Matthew 8, verses 13, so powerful. He says, go, let it be done. What's those words say? What? He's like, let it be done just as you believed it to be. He, you kind of made this thing up. The way you made it up, I'm just telling you, I know that sounds weird, but it's true. He had no reference point for this. He just made it up in faith. He said, hey, the way you made it up, let it be done just as you believed it to be. So my question to you quickly is, is it possible, is it potential that so many, so many aspects of our life are simply a self-fulfilling prophecy of what we believed it to be? Could we possibly be living the life just as we believed it to be? Well, Jedediah, you know, there's no good men left just as you believed it to be. Jedediah, you know, my, my dad was an alcoholic. My grandpa was an alcoholic. I just don't think I'm ever going to shake this addiction just as you believed it to be. Jedediah, no one in my family's owned anything. We'll be lucky if we get our food stamps. I don't see us ever owning a house. Like there's no, well, just as you believed it to be. Man, we're never gonna be able to break into that university campus over there. You know, the Gators, 
She said, it's just too hard. No one succeeded on that, just as you believed it to be. You know, we're never going to see revival in Gainesville. It's been, you know, 87. We've been here and slowly trucking. That's not the case, but that could be what you believe. And just as you believed it to be, oh, we've lost America. Just as you believed it to be, the next generation will never get saved. Just as you believed it to be. He's too far off for God. His heart's too hard. There's no way he's ever coming back just as you believed it to be. But what would it look like right now if we started shifting the expectation of faith? What if we started writing up a drastically different narrative of the miraculous life we're going to live into? It is time for us to shift our expectation and shift and elevate our declaration to exactly not just what we believed it to be, but what God says it was going to be. He's coming back for a glorious church. He's coming back for a united church. He's coming back for cities that have been shaken by the power of Jesus Christ. He's coming back for a generation that's on fire. Are you hearing me today? If you want to know what I believe, cut open my body and look at my heart. Just as God believed it to be is how I'm going to believe it to be. It's time to, it's time to shift our expectation. And I'm just telling you, if it doesn't sound like God, can I just encourage you, spouse, husband, parent, if it doesn't sound like God, just don't say it. We just don't. Because our words actually create worlds. Because he gave us the very creative nature of, of his voice in our breath. The first thing he gave humanity was his breath. Everything else was spoken into existence, which means it had a lid and a limit. He said tree, it can find and define what a tree would be. Tree never could be mountain and mountain can never be monkey. They were spoken into existence. And monkey could never be man because monkey was spoken into existence, which means God's word created the reality in which it could live, but the limit in which it could exist. But when it comes to mankind, he doesn't speak us into existence. He <laughs> breathes us into existence, which is why he says, I will not limit what you can create because I've given you my very creative voice by giving you my very breath. That's why he says, whoever you curse will be cursed. Whoever you forgive will be forgiven. He said, the power of life and death is in the tongue because he knew just like his words, your words could create worlds. So what world have we been creating? And if you don't like the world you're living in, then it's time to speak a different one into existence. Three things that will remain the same forever. These three things are faith, hope, and love. Say them with me. Faith, hope, and love. I could talk about faith forever. This is a house of faith. Faith, hope, and love. These are eternal things. They're not temporal things. The first is faith. The second is, you're with me. This, you guys get points up front. Hope. Can I just say something? I believe hope is one of the most underrated attributes of Christianity. In fact, in the last two years, if I could be honest, I know not this church, I know not these families, but other churches and other places, I was like, where did the hope go? Like, we looked crazy for the last few years. Not this groom. Some Christians, I'm just being honest. We got to call foul on ourselves, not just on the world. I was like, why do you sound just like everybody else? Why are you posting just like everyone else? Why are you talking just like everyone else? Why do you have more fear than the world, more anxiety than the world, more hate than the world, more frustration than the world? I was reading some of this stuff, and I'm like, what are we? These are pastors and leaders. And I'm like, what are we doing? Where did all the hope go? And here's what's so significant. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, you need to understand that word substance actually by definition means substructure. 
If you look it up, that word substance is firm foundation. It's actually, it's not saying faith is this ethereal, elusive thing that we just hope for one day. And I'm in faith, like whatever that thing is. No, it actually says faith is the substructure, the firm foundation, the tangible thing that we stand on that gives us our hope for tomorrow. That's why the Bible says, now faith, you need to get this. Now faith, which means all faith is for today, and the faith you have today is what produces your hope for tomorrow. Which means when you lose hope, it's because you lost faith. You could not have hope for the future because you weren't activating a living faith for today, which is why it was constantly elusive. So if hope has left your mouth, that means faith is no longer below your feet. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. This underrated attribute that went missing. And to understand the power of hope, there was a, a scientist, his name was uh, Kirk Ritter. Kirk Ritter, you can look this up. He was a Harvard grad in the 1950s. He was a John Hopkins scientist. And as a lot of scientists do, they study things we don't care about sometimes. <laughs> Not all, if you're a scientist, stay, please. We love you. Welcome to the community. But a lot of times they're like, why are we studying this? And in 1950, his team wanted, Dr. Ritter wanted to understand how long a rat could survive swimming in a bucket of recycled water. And we're like, we don't care. Kill the rat right off the bat. Like, just drown it. Like, don't let it swim to its death. But for some reason, it was like, we want to understand how long rats can survive swimming in this bucket of recycled water. The average life expectancy of every rat was 15 minutes. 14 and a half minutes too long for all of us that don't like rats. 15 minutes. He's like, hey, yep. Average, average life expectancy of a rat swimming in a bucket of recycled water, 15 minutes. And then as the study developed, he started taking the rat out at about the 14 and a half minute mark right before it was going to die. He would rest the rat. Dry the rat off. Dry this little ratty off. <laughs> Sorry, I got this picture of this little rat. and We've named the rat now. His name's Geppetto. <laughs> We all love the rat. Kids are like, Dad, why'd the rat die? I'm so sorry. Didn't know kids would be in the service. But this rat died. So takes this rat off, puts this rat back in the bucket, and lets it swim again. Now, they test this for a long period of time. The first rat swam to its death. Every rat, on average, 15 minutes. Do you know how long the second study, on average, of rats that swam after? Now, remember, they didn't rest them for a day. They didn't rest them for an hour. Stopped them at the 14 and a half minute mark. They were 30 seconds away from death. Stopped them, dried them off, let them rest for a few minutes, put them back in. Do you know how long every rat on average swam a second time? If you know the answer, don't ruin them. Don't ruin them. Don't ruin them all. Anyone know? It was 15 minutes before every rat died at the 15 minute mark. Now they got rested, put back in the water, hope you get the study, and now they're swimming again. How long did these rats swim on average a second time? Any guess? Hour? What we got? How much? Someone says, what was it? That was crazy. Okay, anyway. Hour, like two hours. 60 hours. Not this rat, every rat on average that was pulled out, put back in, swam. First rat died at 15 minutes. Every rat post that average 60 hours of swimming in the water, 240 times longer than every rat that died at the 15 minute mark. You know what science concluded? They did a study and they go, the only difference, this is going to get good. I know where it's going, so I'm excited. I'm starting to get worked up. He said, the only difference between the rat that died at the 15-minute mark and every rat that swam 60 hours 
was the rat that swam 60 hours had a reference point for being rescued. It had been rescued once, therefore it created hope for it to keep swimming, keep swimming, keep swimming, because it had a reference point of being rescued once, that it would have a hope that it was going to be rescued again. Can I just tell you something, friends? You know what the Bible says? It says, God has rescued us from this deadly peril, and on him we have set our hope that he's going to rescue us again. The reason why we have this hope that keeps us giving, keeps us loving, keeps us swimming, keeps us outpacing everyone else that doesn't is because we've already been rescued and we have this outrageous hope that we will be rescued again. And our hope, unlike the world, is not in a person. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in a, a buyout or a handout or, or, or child welfare. Our hope is not in a platform. Our hope is not in a position. Our hope is not in our retirement plan, our 401ks, our jobs, our accolades. Our hope it was baptized in the Jordan, was born in the major. Our hope lived 2,000 years ago. Our hope conquered sin, death, and the grave. Our hope has no equal, has no rival. Can I tell you something, friend? Our hope is alive and our hope has a name and his name is Jesus and he will rescue us. That's why we smile when no one's smiling. That's why we love when no one's loving. That's why we give when no one's giving. That's why we build buildings when we got COVID and cancer. It's because we've been rescued and we know he's gonna rescue us again. This is the product of faith that was the manifestation of hope. Faith. Preaching myself into a frenzy up here. Faith, hope. In love. See, our hope is in Jesus. But the hope of the world is Jesus in us. I want you to hear that again. This is actually the first Corinthians or first, first Colossians or Colossians, it's the actual verse here. It says, uh, Colossians 126. It says, the hope of the secret for all these ages is that Christ in you is the hope of glory. See, we need to get this, friend. Our hope is in Jesus. But the world doesn't know Jesus. They know us. So our hope is in Jesus. But for those that don't know him, their hope is Jesus in us. Faith, hope, and love. Extra points for the front row. <laughs> the greatest of these are love. If you look at John 13, 34, and you get the keys up to make this special. Jesus, Jesus says these words. He's, he's having the last meal with his homeboys, you know, these average blue-collar workers, man, that we can resonate with, right? I can resonate with the disciples. They mess it up. Can't figure it out. They're, like, pushing women and children away. Like, get them away. You know, like, these guys are, it's called down fire from heaven. Like, we can relate with these guys, right? It's like we really are fools about this thing called Jesus sometimes. And uh, he's sitting with them, and he actually says these words. He says, a new command a new command I give to you. Did we time that? Can we do that again? It's like, it was awkward. It was, no, it was perfect. Thank you. It's great. Oh, he says, a new command I'll give to you. Love one another. 
Now let's just be honest. I'm going to be honest. You could be honest if you want to. I'm going to go ahead and be honest first. Like when he says those words, like we're not like ecstatic up front. Right? He's like, ah, new command I give to you. Love one another. And we're like, yeah. And then if you're like me, you kind of wrap your head around it. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to love one another the way I love people. Right? Maybe with rules, rigidness, limits, lack, preconceived ideas, my own behavioral traits, my idiosyncrasies, my ideologies. Like, I, I, okay, I'll do my best to love one another the way I love. And for many of you, that would be hard enough to extend your fractured version of love to one other human. Let's just be honest. But then I'm just telling you what the Bible says, it messes with me too. But then Jesus goes on and he says, I want you to love one another the way that I loved you. What? Do you know that, uh, you know, there's 10 commandments and the first is love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Is that true? It doesn't say in the second commandment, love your neighbor as God loved your neighbor. You know that, right? In the old days, because God's love was never on full display until Jesus showed up. This is good. He couldn't even, he couldn't even show them the full capacity of love in the Old Testament because it was the Old Covenant. The full manifestation of love lives in the New Covenant. So in the beginning, he's like, hey, love, you, love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And now he's like, well, I'm giving you a new command. I don't want you to love your neighbor as yourself because you might not love yourself well. You might have a hard time loving yourself. You might have a hard time living with yourself. You might have a hard time receiving love, giving love, understanding love. He's like, you can't be the standard of it. I don't want you to love others the way you love others anymore or the way you love yourself because that's problematic. So he goes, I got a new command, good news. Love one another. And they're like, ah, we hate Judas. Peter's a jerk, like all this stuff, right? And then he goes, but I want you to love them the way that I loved you. The selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, illogical, you do bad, get good type of love. This love that has no limits, this love that has no boundaries, this love that doesn't seek record of wrong, this love, actually, this love which is manifested in what Jesus calls the ministry of reconciliation, which by definition is not counting the world's sins against them. Do you know what we're doing for two years on social media? We're keeping a toll and a tally of the world's sins and follies. And Jesus says, you know what my love looks like? We don't actually count those sins against them because they were counted against me 2,000 years ago. I already took all the pain. I already took all the shame. I already took every sin. I already took every failure. So now you have the ability to love them the way that I love them. And then he says, and by this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. He doesn't say by your disciplines. He doesn't say by your practices. He doesn't say by your principles. Are you hearing me, church? He says by love. Which means when the world hates, you know what we do? When the world hurts, you know what we do? When the world hits, you know what we do? When the world fails, when the world fractures our lives, when the world spits in our face, sometimes it's easier to love the lost than it is to love the found. Because that person should know better. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're reading the same book, homie. Like, you should know better. You got a fish sticker on a car, but a middle finger sticking out of the window. It's like, you should... 
I'm way too honest this morning. That's what happens when you're with friends. You know, when we, when we uh, got reassigned to America, and I don't have time to give everyone the story, but if you want to know what we've been up to, for those of you who journeyed us to Peru, you know, we were committed. You know, when I sold businesses, homes, and cars to be a part of this, and that was not a sacrifice. I've been given the greatest opportunity of my lifetime, surrendering to Jesus. But when we started that journey, we concluded we were going to spend a decade in Central and South America, a de decade in Southeast Asia, and then probably go to the Middle East and die there. You know, like literally, like later in life. Like let's just, in post-2019, we felt God reassigning us to America. We never had one vision for America except to mobilize people out of it. We had a 20-year vision on our wall. Nothing in America was written on that wall. I was telling Pastor George in, in the back before this, I go, how, how masterful is our God? He's the master chess player. I said, if we were doing what we were doing and not obeying God in that moment, we would have been building a full-blown one nation, one day campaign like Peru and most likely in Ecuador. We would have already have had 10,000 volunteers, missionaries signed up and have paid. We had already been working in the country and then COVID would have shut us down completely. We would have had to given back all money. There's a chance we could have been insolvent as an organization because missions orgs don't refund travel dollars. We're not a travel organization. You know, there's insurance and liability. And I go, only God could have brought us to LA pre cool Like we would have never known. And as we've been reassigned to America, one of the qualitative we, goals we have is that a decade from now, the logical inclusion of an atheist or agnostic, when they hear the words Christ Church or Christian, the logical inclusion would be those are the people who love no matter what. Right now, if we were to be honest, if you're on an airplane and you say, hey, I go to church or I'm a Christian, or what do you think about this word? Most logical conclusions right now are those are the love people. Those are the people who hate. Those are the people who judge. Those are the bigots. Those are the people who abuse. We don't have the reputation that Christ asked us to have. He said, by this, you're gonna be known. By one thing, the reputation, the calling card of believers, like the, the, the trademark, you know what it is? That's the trademark. Like the, you, we should be able to ask your enemy, like what's the deal? Ah, oh, that guy did this or he did this, but at the end of the day, man, he still he kind of really loves me still. That's supposed to be our reputation. And when we came to America, I realized that there's a whole group of people that don't see a church loving, don't see a church uniting, don't see a church giving. And we said, let's, we want to reintroduce the church to the world and the world to the church through the lens of love, through the lens of service. And what was amazing in LA, if you watched any of it, I mean, 641 churches in LA partnered, the Archdiocese, the Jewish Federation, hundreds of organizations, 20,000 volunteers paid money and signed up to serve in LA, in a Delta variant, in a closed city. 10,000 of them, friends, were not from any church. 10,000 people randomly saw social posts, got off of their phones, out of their homes, paid money to go back into humanity, to serve at a church they did not know, to serve with the church they did not know, and serve people they did not know, giving them an experience with Jesus and the church at the same day. This model was not just who you were doing the outreach to, it was who you were doing the outreach with. Standing next to you was someone who believed different, who voted different, who acted different, who identified different, but we we're saying, hey, it's not just the, the fact loving the lost. It's the lost and found loving humanity together. Rebranding this church is the vehicle for love. But what I've realized, friends, the challenge for many of us 
and the realize is, is at some point in along our journey as believers, we've made people the problem and instead of the point. If we're being honest, right? Like that person's the problem. That individual's the problem. That, that politician, that, that chief you know, police officer, that city councilman, that university professor, that, you know, that, that Instagram you know, famous person talking, like we've actually made people the problem. But the Bible says this, I'm gonna close this down. I'm sorry, I just want you to get this. The Bible says this, we war not against flesh and blood enemies. So I wanna be super clear for everyone in this room. Our enemy is never against a flesh and blood enemy. You having a problem with your contractor? He's not the problem. You having a problem with that school board? That's not the problem. You having a problem with that spouse? That spouse isn't the problem. I just want you to know that. You having a problem with this individual? That individual is not the problem. There's an ideology behind the individual and there's a principality behind the person. And it's time for us to shift our energy on attacking a person and start attacking a principality. We wanna love the person, love the individual and attack the ideology and the principality beyond the individual. People are not a problem to be solved. People are the point to be pursued, to be served, to be loved and to be empowered. And this church has been doing it for 40 years, 30 something years. It's not uncommon for you. This church is known for love, but I'm saying it's time for us to do this on steroids. It's time, for the, it's time for everyone in this city to say those crazy people at the rock love no matter what. I believe our team believes that we're, we're not gonna stop our international endeavors. And, you know, obviously we have about 6,000 orphans in, India, we've rescued, we built about 240 orphanages in India, brick and mortar, you know, in the last few years. We've got safe houses for sex lives. We have tons of stuff internationally. You guys are going back to international countries, back to Peru this year. It's like unbelievable. But I do believe, guys, that there's a new missions field emerging, and I never thought I'd be saying it's America as well. And we've done such a great job of demonstrating, I'll tell you, the reputation of the church in many of the places you've been is those are the people who love. But the reputation in the church that has left to go love, living in America is not the people who love. And there's two ways that we close with this that have helped me. Love, I'm just telling you, you know what love was? Love was an education of how our LA was for us, Los Angeles. It was an education on how to love people I did not historically love or value, or to be honest, really just give dignity to. Like one of the greatest things the church can give the world is simply dignity. It's to say that when I look at humanity through the lens of love, love within itself has assumed value. Value establishes dignity, which means when I look at a homeless person through the lens of love, there's value in that person. When I look at the, the, the orphan, there's value in the orphan. When I look at the addict, there's value. When I look at them through the lens of love, whether I agree or disagree, it assumes value, which establishes dignity. And one of the greatest things we could do is just say, I, I value you, I'm giving you dignity. The good things you're creating, the, the businesses you're creating, although you might not believe like us and think like us, I can give you dignity. And the way we do this, guys, is realizing two things. One, when we look at people, we need to see Jesus in them. The Bible says this, Jesus says this, he, he tells this parable and he goes, hey, you know, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And they say, Jesus, when were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you in prison? And then Jesus says these words, what you do to the least of these? you do to me. 
And that word least of these is actually least of your estimation. It has nothing to do with the poverty level. It's like, oh, we take care of the poor. No, 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 it's the people you value the least. What you do to those, you do to Jesus. So one way we can start loving people is I'm now trying to find Jesus in them. Jesus in that addict, Jesus in that alcoholic, Jesus in that abuser, Jesus in that homeless person. Jesus, like I'm sitting going, what I do to you, I'm actually doing to Jesus. I gotta see Jesus in you first. The second thing you have to do is see yourself in them. Can I tell you something, friends? Sometimes we live this life and we go, yeah, those guys just messed up. Man, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have taken that drug. You shouldn't have invested that money. You shouldn't have married that girl. Ever been there? What I've realized is that we're one decision away from the, like, we think we controlled how this, the dice were rolled. Like, let's be, I mean, how many times you should have got pulled over and got that DUI? How many times you could have crashed and went into the dish instead of hitting a car? How many times someone could have exposed you or one different conversation? Or what if you weren't born into a family that actually had two parents? What if you were born in a different situation? Do you know how easy it is for you to be someone you don't value? One step, one wrong mistake, one different outcome of the dice, and you could have been that person. And it's time for us to not think we've somehow journeyed so high on our horse to a place that only the holy can go. No, we're here because God's raised us up and God's protected us. And God said, I see fit to elevate you or to bless you or to love you. It's time to see Jesus. And I'm just telling you, my, my prayer today is, God, how can I help us? this family even love more than we've already loved. It's time to be known for love again. If you wanna know what my mission in America is, as we go to Houston in November, which you guys will be invited to, and Miami in the fall, let me tell you, no one knows about this yet, so don't tell anyone yet. The next is Houston, the next is Miami. God gave us five cities before we ever went to LA. Los Angeles, Houston, Miami, Chicago, and New York. And what we realize is that these five cities represent 50% of the worst of the nation's stats. So corruption, violence, child welfare, unjust incarceration, poverty, 50% of our entire nation's statistics live in five cities. If you change these five cities, half of the nation's stats will change forever. And we feel God said, I'm not assigning you to cities in America, I'm giving you the nation of America. And these are the five cities that will be the access point to turn this country back. To God. If you want to know how you're going to build a family that lasts, faith. Okay, good. You want to know how you're going to build a business that lasts? You want to know what the testimony of the church is supposed to be? You want to know what the testimony of this house is? You want to know how you save your kids? Faith, hope, in love. You want to know how you face the future? Faith, hope, and love. You want to know how you live an unshakable life? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. <laughs> to be honest, it's what your leaders have been doing, and it's just a big old amen. And a reminder as a calibrator as we run into the future and develop the future of all that's next to this property. We're going to do this by faith, hope, and love. If you could bow your heads with me this morning, I just want to pray for a few groups of people. And in fact, at this moment, if we can, if, if the Perks team could come down front, I just feel like we're going to utilize you. So if you're able to 
slip out and be uncomfortable or be comfortable coming down, moving through the crowds. I just want to pray for a few groups of people today. And I really feel the focus is this, this faith, this hope and, and love focus. And the first group of people I want to pray for today is, you know, I don't know how you came into this conversation and maybe you weren't ready for a young kid from California to sweat and scream and let his veins pop out everywhere with no socks on, but you found yourself here. And I don't know what your journey is. Um, I don't know if you've done church before or you followed a really good looking girl into the room. Like, let's just be honest or guy, like however you got here. I don't know your journey, but if, if we had the privilege of maybe having a coffee after this or going downtown and having a conversation. And if you were to be honest with me, listen, I'm talking to you out there. If you were to be honest with me, maybe you, you would finally get to the point of transparency where you'd say something like Jedediah, you know, I'm, I've been trying to restore my marriage, but it, I just can't figure it out on my own. Je Jedediah, maybe these words would be, uh, man, the debt's just overwhelming and I've tried everything and I, I can't shake this debt on my own. Maybe for you, it'd be Jedediah, it's one habit after another. It's one addiction after another. And I just can't shake this addiction on my own. Maybe it's I'm so gripped with fear. I'm so overwhelmed with anxiety. I'm fighting daily depression. I, I don't know what it is, but if you were being honest, maybe that's what the conversation would be like. And, and maybe if you were to really be honest with me, you'd simply say, which I think all those statements are really saying, Jedediah, I need help. I just need help. And if you're here today, friends, saying you need help, your spirit is saying you need Jesus because Jesus is the only one that can make sense of that God-sized shape hole in your heart. I can just tell you from personal experience, I'm not selling something I'm not taking. Jesus is the only one that could give you the hope I'm talking about that is in peace that's beyond reason. Jesus is the only one that can make sense of that mess and turn into the message. Jesus is the only one that can speak peace and clarity into your chaos. Jesus, I'm just telling you, I've tried it all too. It's the only thing that's worked for me and I'm pretty convinced it's the only thing that's really gonna work for you. And if you're here today saying you need help, friend, your spirit saying you need Jesus. And if that's you, whether you've said you need Jesus before, or 15 years ago, 50 years ago, or whether this is your first time, I want to help you get this help by simply receiving this gift called grace. The Bible actually says there's this crazy exchange that happens. God takes your, your worst for his best. He takes your weakness for his strength. It's this crazy exchange where he takes your broken life, and he gives you his beautiful promise. And if that's you today and you want to make that exchange, we do that by just saying a prayer. In fact, with heads bowed and eyes closed, just a moment between me, you, and God. If that's you, I'd love you to say these words after me. In fact, everyone's going to say it together after me. Would you just say these words with me? Would you say, dear Jesus, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. I need you in my life. And I need your help today. Would you, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me brand new? Would you become my Lord and become my Savior? Would you help me today, Jesus? In your name I pray. Amen. With heads bowed, eyes closed, just two more things and then we're going to be done. No one looking around. If you said that prayer today, friend, and we have no desire here at The Rock to embarrass anyone. It's just between me, you, and God. But if you're saying, Jedediah, I just want to let you know, I said that prayer. I meant it when I said that prayer. 
thank you for helping me say that prayer. Now, friend, this is not saying you're perfect. You've got it all figured out. You're not going to make another mistake. This is simply saying in view of eternity and what Christ did for you, you want to be captured and caught up in this moment of saying yes to Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just let me know who you are. You said that prayer. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else over here? I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, I see that hand. And I see that hand. Beautiful, so beautiful. I see that hand in the back. Anyone else? Anyone? I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, Jedediah, include me in this moment. So many hands going up. You could put your, so many, another hand. Thank you. Another hand. Thank you. It's another hand. Thank you. Okay, if you could put your, so many hands. If you could put your hands down. Put your heads up for a moment. First of all, for everyone who said that prayer and raised your hand in this moment at the Rock of Gainesville, we just want to celebrate you. <clears throat> Come on. You, you might be saying, Jedediah, like, why is everyone clapping? I just said a little prayer. We believe that you made the greatest decision of your life. We believe right now that you've been accepted as a son and a daughter with an inheritance in the kingdom. We believe that the same power that actually took Christ out of the grave, that actually conquered sin and death, that power lives in you right now. That's the power for miracles. You might not believe it, like that's in you right this second. The power for miracles, the power to create wealth. This is the dunamis power, the power that resides in armies. That same spirit lives inside of you. The power to speak to mountains and say, be moved, that lives inside of you. And the Bible says that when one returns, heaven throws the epic greatest party ever. You think Florida University has parties? Heaven right now is art partying every party the frats have ever done simply because you said yes to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you if this is the first time doing it or you know you don't have a, a, a church to call home, I just want to encourage you, whatever you do, don't make the best decision of your life and leave here and make a bad one. And that's by doing life alone. I said it the last time I was here, I heard a testimony from Pastor George this morning. What I said a couple years ago is an isolated Christian is a defeated Christian. In fact, an isolated anyone is a defeated everyone. No one wins throughout history over a long period of time without a coach, a mentor, a family, a pastor, a counselor, a friend, which means, friend, you were meant to do this life in community, and we're not welcoming you into a building. We've been welcoming you into a family. And we would love to give you next steps when we're done and how to make sure you just stay connected. I want to tell you, I know these leaders. I trust these leaders with my own babies. They're going to be with you at the mountaintop and they're going to be with you in the midst of the valley. That is who they are. Lastly, as we get ready to move into a time of ministry, if you can stand, uh, let's stand. We're going to, I will turn it over in a second. We'll sing some songs. Pastor George might need to do some things, but I really want to focus, and this is why the ministry team's up today. I really want to focus on the three areas, faith, hope, and love. And for any of these three areas, here's what I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. One, if you've lacked faith, I want you to hear my words, there's gonna be a gift of faith given you today. Like you're actually gonna feel tangible faith. I've been in, like when I walked into this church today, I go, the whole church is ushering me into faith. That's why I said it's a house of faith. There's something tangible about this thing. And some of you have been like trying to grab onto it. Today, a gift of faith is gonna be given. It's actually one of the gifts of the Spirit. So if you're saying, Jedediah, I've lost faith. I don't have faith. I've stopped believing I'm in crisis. Today, you're gonna to get a gift of faith and we wanna make sure you get prayer for by one of these leaders. Second, I wanna to talk to those that are literally hopeless. 
It's the third broken marriage. It's the loss of a loved one. It's the economic crisis. Like when you think about tomorrow, there is no hope in your heart. There's no excitement. And I'm just telling you, friend, God wants to give you hope. God wants to give you the hope of the world, which is his son. And there's something that's gonna, I'm just telling you, there's gonna be a new hope that comes out. There's gonna be, your spouse is gonna say, you just look different. Your kids are gonna just say, you just sound different. For those of you that have been in depressed and anxiety, I'm telling you, that is breaking today in Jesus' name. And then lastly is love. If you're having a, a lack of love, an issue with love, we're gonna have time of prayer. And literally, not just to receive the gift of love, but I really believe love manifest, manifesting through healing. This is why the whole team's up here. I'm not going to pray for it. We're all praying to the same God. But I'm telling you what's going to happen today. People that came in here without faith will walk out of here with a gift of faith. People that came in here with no hope are going to walk out of here overflowing with hope. And people in here that were having a hard time believing God loved them because they had hearing loss or chronic back pain or were diagnosed with a disease, whether terminal or not terminal, or had lost a loved one or currently has had an infirmity or hasn't been able to get pregnant, whatever it is, I'm telling you, God's love is going to manifest this morning through miracles because one of the greatest things he loves to do is bless his kids. So right now, I'm going to pray for you and then worship's going to come. And if you guys could come down, I'll turn it over to Pastor George. Before we get ready to respond and move to the altar for wherever it is, if you could just raise your hand wherever you're at comfortably. Father God, first of all, I thank you for this incredible testament of faith what this community is, who these leaders are, what this building represents. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have been so faithful. When everyone was taking back seats, this church was pressing the gas pedal. When everyone was closing doors, they were opening new doors. God, when people were saying it's terminal, it's crisis, they were saying, I got so much life, I cannot stop. God, I pray, Lord, that that would only be multiplied today. God, I pray, Lord, for those that have lost faith, may the gift of faith move into their home, move into their hearts, move into their heads. We rebuke any thought in their mind that is not from you, that is from the enemy. God, for those that are depressed, that are full of anxiety, that are anxious, Lord, that can't even touch hope, talk about hope, sound like hope, I thank you that hope's walking back into their life today. Hope's walking back into that marriage today. Hope's walking back into that business today. Hope's walking back into those grandkids and great-grandkids today. And God, I pray, Lord, that everyone that can hear my voice that has something in their body that is not in alignment with your world or your realm would come into alignment today. We thank you that cancer's gone. God, we continue to stand in full expectation that the report for Pastor George is it's gone, cannot be found, and will not be back. God, we pray for, for those that have experienced loss, sickness, disease, infirmity. God, we pray, Lord, for outrageous creative miracles in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.